the first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. As it like kept unfolding, I was like, this is so crazy. Like, I can't even believe that like somebody that I went to school with did this. Like, it's just, like, I just kept thinking like, how do you even get it to that point to like go down that path? Welcome to the First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might, up, might end up on. Wow, it's been a long day, guys. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm, I'm sitting with Alexis Linklater and Billy Jensen. And I'm so excited because our Patreon has officially launched. We are a week late, but that's okay. Could be worse, but we wanted to make sure that all of our back catalog was ready ad free for you to binge if you want to and all of the goodies are right yes. in there so we are so excited um our first episode is a judging judge me episode we are talking all about casey anthony's bar fight that i bet you didn't even know happened so, it's so good it's so good i mean we went it, it really is in good on I'm, I'm saying this right now i'm not i'm not blowing smoke it's good i was proud of it I was proud of, I was like, and um, Caitlin, who's listening, who edits our episodes before Jared does his magical touch on it. She's like, hey, I was really impressed by these. I really like these. I was like, they're really good. They're really good. Well, we did the thing where that was the first Patreon episode that we recorded and it was so good. We're like, oh, we got to start it off with a bang. This one was just like so phenomenal that... And, and, and let me tell you this, like we thought thought long and hard about doing a Patreon and we're just like, we've got to give people something. And, and it was it was particularly me. I was just like, no, we've got to give somebody like, what are we going to give them that's going to be actually that people are going to want to spend money on? Is that and true that you said I that? Because I don't remember that. this happening at all. Absolutely. I don't think you even weighed in on the content. Oh, my all. God. That is exactly <laughs> really? what happened. Jack, do you remember this? No, but that's okay. It's, yeah, it's yeah. It's just like all right. Billy was like, we don't need the whole back catalog yeah, on Patreon. Let's on the just watch it. Yeah. yeah, truly, that happened verbatim. People just, I give, think us, people just give us five or ten dollars. Yeah. All right, uh, you're being weird gaslighter right now because this didn't happen. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, the point of my story is that the Patreon's up. Go uh, it is. subscribe to whatever tier that you would like. But I do have to say the four episode a month tier, which is going to be our all access tier. I, I did a little music theme for this one. Um, it's it it's worth it. I mean, our episodes are so good. They might four, be better than our original month. episodes. Four more a month. Four yeah. more a month. That's three episodes a week that I everybody's know. getting. God, you're going to be sick of us, guys. You're going to be sick of us. Um, we're all just like so, so tired. So Very tired. I was up all night last night binge watching the thing about Pam, the NBC show on Hulu, because like, Jack, did you know Keith Morrison narrates it? They, they play it. It's a, it's a scripted show. It's like a weird parody type of thing. It's a scripted show, but he narrates it and it's about Dateline, like getting involved in this case. Yeah. Did you not listen to the podcast? There's the thing about Pam. Is I from listened a podcast to the podcast, that but, that, but that was a doc, that was like a docu podcast. That was like a real podcast. This is yeah. all scripted. Renee Zellweger is scripted, is Pam, but they yeah, but it's, still, it's very me- yes. it's, it's very meta. It's yeah. so good. When I was at Crime Watch Daily, we had a a producer who was so into this case and trying to get her, but we could never sort of like connect all of the dots. To make the lawyers be like, okay, you know, you know, let's go ahead, and then it finally happened. So yeah, it spanned over like a decade or it something. It was a lot. It was a lot. Yeah. So I've been watching Death on the Nile, Ooh. and you ladies, you know, it it's it's it takes place in the 1930s. And do you know, like Agatha Christie did Murder on the Orient Express, which is one of the greatest Murder crime stories ever written. Yeah. And it it probably it might have cemented my love for trains, uh, you know, and, and I love that. But this one takes place actually on a boat on the Nile. It's so good. And um, Kenneth Branagh is the 
uh, is Hercule Poirot, and he's kind of like an action Hercule. <laughs> I love that. No, I also watched it, and I am just such a sucker for good cinematography. Like, that's where I, I was just, like, sucked in yeah, the entire time. Beautiful. It was so beautiful. The soundtrack is amazing. I just loved it so much. Such a good movie when you want to, like, you want the crime, but you don't want the true you know, mm-hmm. and there's something so like beautiful and mysterious about just Egypt in general. And with that is uh. sort of like one of the backdrops. And plus, you know, Agatha Christie, she has this amazing ability to like leave Easter eggs around and there's all these like incredible twists. So I, um, I love this shit. Now, now she, 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 I, I think she basically invented the genre. I mean, you've got Edgar Allan Poe, you've got her. And when you go to England, the mystery section is gigantic in in um in bookstores. It's the yeah. biggest section out of any other section. They yeah. are so into her and the things that that she was able to do. And I love the fact that that they're making movies about this stuff even to this day because they're hell they're they're cinematic in their scope. It was so good. So if on, you guys, I just got a Blu-ray player. Do they have it on Blu-ray? They do have it on Blu-ray and digital, baby. So go watch it if you're looking for something new and like need like a break from true crime because I know we do sometimes. You need some fantasy and there's like things set in Egypt. There's like an opulence and a really interesting sort of aspect of just that backdrop. And, you know, I live for that shit. A historical sort of influence is always interesting. It's gorge. All right. Well, Billy, what day is it today? All right. You know what? We've got a lot of days today. It's the International Day of Pink. Oh, the color? Or yes, the singer. April 13th, by the way. Yes. I love this singer too, might I say. I love I love Pink so I much. One Pink. of my favorite performers. She's not only performer, she's like a good person and she has a good healthy she's messages. A good role model. Great role model. She's so sweet to her daughter. I just love watching her every time. I'm like, oh, I feel better about myself just watching you love yourself. <laughs> I saw her at a sushi restaurant in Venice once and I'll never forget it. I was was like, she so nice? So Did she sweet. seem nice? I mean, I didn't talk to her. She looks she really nice. nice from afar. Love her. <laughs> it's also National Bookmobile Day. Did you guys uh, ever go into a we, bookmobile? We've had this day before. We've had this day before last year. There's Isn't no way. Weird? Like, how did that happen? We've but had a yeah. bookmobile day before. Maybe it was like book fair day or something. Mm, I don't know. We've had bookmobile day. Oh, I'm you almost... know what? It's observed Wednesday of the second full week in in April. So that's why. Ah, yeah. It's not wow. a specific day. It's actually the April. So Alexis... I'm sure. First time I've remembered something in six years. (laughs) Anything. It's that Ginkgo Biloba's working, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is working. All right. Well, that's enough of that. So let's turn down the lights and turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. No one ever really knows what goes on behind closed doors, whether we're talking about romantic relationships or the inner workings of a family. Outside perceptions are often colored by portrayals of happiness, normalcy, when behind the scenes, things are anything but. And social media is notorious for painting a picture that is in drastic contrast to the reality. And so are the tropes that are reflected by norms in our society. You know, phrases like daddy's girl or mama's boy. These things make it seem as though functionality among those dynamics are inherent, but they're not. In today's episode, we'll demonstrate just that. So we begin today's case on September 5th of 2020, which was not that long ago. Dynamite by BTS was the number one song on the charts. WAP by Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion and Laugh Now, Cry Later by Drake featuring Lil Lil Durk. I don't even know who that is. We're close behind. Lil Durk? Another Lil. Like we don't have enough Lil's. So movie theaters obviously weren't working at full capacity because of COVID, but Tenet managed to bring in a few million dollars that month. And for those of you that are into astrology, September 5th is a Saturday under the sign of Virgo. And the setting for today's case is Cedar City, Utah, which is located in the south central part of the state. Now, it was settled in 1855, and the city was partially named after the abundance of cedar trees in the area. However, though, it was later determined that the trees were actually juniper trees and not cedar, but they kept the name. 
Although they got their start in ironworks by the time 1923 rolled around, Cedar City was known as the gateway to the national parks. So the city offered tourists the chance to visit the Grand Canyon, Zion National Park, and Bryce Canyon via my favorite way of travel, railroad. And our first degree for today's case is named Cheyenne. So she now lives around 45 minutes from Cedar City in St. George, Utah, with her husband, who, side note, is a sergeant for the Washington County Sheriff's Department. But before she moved to St. George, Cheyenne was born and raised in Cedar City. It's like pretty rural, like country town, like farm community. You know, it's pretty, pretty small. Cedar City has like the Shakespeare Festival, which is a pretty big draw for people. Zion National Park is probably about an hour from Cedar. There's lots of national parks and and like that kind of, it's more like an outdoor, like recreation type area. Cedar City is a quiet and safe area. But of course, as with even small cities in the U.S., crimes do occur there, but they're rarely big enough to make the news. And that's why on September 5th of 2020, Cheyenne was surprised to hear about an intense police chase that ended with the arrest of a 33-year-old man. The local media clung to this story because, like I said, serious crimes rarely occur in the area. So when Cheyenne saw an article about the crime pop up, she took an interest and clicked on it. She was immediately faced with the mugshot of a man who'd been arrested in the case. And this man looked really familiar to her. He just had, like, his eyes were so blue, like, just, like, the craziest, like, blue eyes. And so then, like, in his booking picture, like, that's what caught my, like, that's what caught me. I was like, oh, my gosh, like, I know him. In this small town, word travels fast, which meant that Cheyenne didn't have to wait long for answers about why this man looked so familiar to her. My cousin was actually the one that had texted me and told me, he was like, hey, did you see, like, Josh got arrested? And I was like, oh, my gosh, no, like, that's why he was so familiar. Like, no way, that's Josh. Like, you, he went to Carolyn High School. Josh's last name was Glover, and he'd been a classmate of Cheyenne and her cousins. That's why he looked so familiar. And she found it hard to believe that the Josh in the mugshot was the same Josh she knew back in the day from school. His, like, booking picture is so crazy. Like, he just looks like a crazy person. I don't remember him that way. Like, he was just a very quiet, like, not really up to much. He didn't have a ton of friends. And so it was just crazy to see him like that. And we're at the moment looking at the same mugshot that Cheyenne saw that day. We don't always pour over the imagery in the mugshots, but there's something kind of distinct about this one in that he has, like, deer in headlights, like shell shock look on his face, huge, big, piercing blue eyes, kind of strange, strange. Yeah. It's very strange. It's un, like you cannot get past the eyes. They're very big, very bold, very scary. Yeah. A sort of dead, but sort of like he's like, fuck. Yeah. I, he I looks don't know. kind of terrified. Terrified and also terrifying. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Either way, what we know is that Josh has been arrested. But what exactly had he been arrested for? And what exactly was he being accused of? So Cheyenne's cousin was the one that was going to fill her in on what Josh had been arrested for. And it was a bombshell. It turns out that Josh had most likely taken police on a chase because he was the number one suspect in a local murder. Cheyenne couldn't believe what her cousin was saying. Josh Glover, from high school, was allegedly involved in a murder. It just didn't seem right or possible at all to her. It's, like, so cliche. You go to, like, school, and you go to this, like, small school in a small town, and just, like, this kind of stuff, like, it doesn't happen. Like, you don't think that kids that you grow up with are going to, like, grow up to do this kind of thing. So who exactly did the police suspect Josh of killing? When and why did this happen? And where exactly did things go wrong with Josh? To answer these questions, you know the drill. We gotta go back. Our first degree Cheyenne's freshman year at Parowan High School began in 2005. So we went to school in in a town called Parowan, which is like 10 minutes from Cedar. So 
It's a really, really small town. It's a pretty small community. Our high school was 7th through 12th, and so it was pretty small, probably between like four and 500 kids within that school. Because Parowan High School was so small, Cheyenne knew the upperclassmen, including senior student Josh Glover. I didn't know him super, super well, but I definitely like would see him. And he rode the bus, and I rode the bus. We rode different buses, but like he would kind of all congregate in the same area when the buses would come pick you up. So I remember like seeing him like getting on the bus and stuff, and he definitely was not like somebody that I was like, oh, avoid him, you know, like he just was there. Like he just was pretty low key. Although they weren't BFFs, Cheyenne was able to recall quite a few things about Josh. Besides his piercing blue eyes, one of the most memorable things about him was that he was not a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which was a very popular religion in Utah, often referred to as Mormonism. And most of her classmates were members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Pretty much everybody in the community was was Mormon and was kind of raised that way. I know that Josh was, was not. He wasn't in that faith, but there was probably like 10% of the kids at our school that were not LDS. Cheyenne remembered Josh as being kind of a burnout kid. He didn't play sports. He wasn't in a band. He didn't really fit in with any one group. And when I hear the word burnout, I remember those kids from my school. Those are kids who are perceived to be experimenting with drugs. They were wearing big black hoodies. They were wearing big baggy pants. It's a stereotype. It's, you know, it's, it doesn't mean anything, but to try to paint a picture of, of, I think what she perceived him to be. And in preparation for this episode, Cheyenne dug out her old yearbook to freshen up on her memories of Josh and see what she could see about what he was doing back then. He was actually in, like, the FFA program and the AG program, which he wasn't really, like, a farmer-type kid, but it was definitely, like, an easy elective for those kids that were just really not up to much. So I think that's kind of why he was there, like, in those programs. There's a picture of him, like, on the AG page, and he's pictured with, like, a bunch of the other burnout kids. Like, they were just kind of all together, and so I thought that was kind of funny, like, It was just an easy elective for those kind of kids. Cheyenne has questioned how Josh ended up being this kind of burnout sort of a kid. She thought that maybe he didn't have a super great upbringing, and she couldn't recall if Josh's father was around, but she knows for sure that his mother Kay was. And by all accounts, it appears that they had this really good relationship with each other. And on the heels of this news about Josh, she started Googling and looking for pictures of Josh online. As far as their relationship, like... There's a picture of him and his mom together, and, like, it just, like, they look, like, just happy. Like, they just look like he's got his arm around her and just, like, smiling, like, totally, like, you would not think that they didn't have a good relationship. The picture Cheyenne described is still Kay's Facebook profile to this day. But the thing that Cheyenne remembers most about Josh actually involves her cousin, the same one that texted her about Josh's arrest. It's not a great story, and it begins to paint a picture of Josh. Our school is pretty small, and it was very much, like, predominantly white. And I think there was maybe one black kid in our school. So Josh had gotten in some kind of argument or disagreement with the black kid and ended up calling him. He called him the N-word. And then my cousin overheard that, and he punched him in the face over it. And then they were both suspended for three days. For that, that was like surprising to me because he really was like this quiet. Like I never would have thought him like to be like that. So Cheyenne later spoke with her cousin about this incident, and he said that he wasn't the type to hold a grudge. But at the time when all this went down, he really fucking hated Josh. And it's not hard to understand why after you hear this story. You know who treats people that way. The last time Cheyenne remembers seeing Josh was at his graduation. She'd gone up to the ceremony to support her senior friends. I literally, like, never really thought about him again after that. He just wasn't somebody that I, like, really cared about or cared to, like, know what was going on with him. We don't know a lot about what Josh did post-graduation. 
But since his arrest, Cheyenne has learned a few things about what he was up to. The kids that he hung out with, like, and the kids that I, like, looked in the yearbook and that he was pictured with, like, they were all kind of on that same trajectory. And I think he just didn't make good choices. After he graduated, like, I think he had a couple of different, like, run-ins with the law in a couple of different facets. So remember, Cheyenne's husband, and we're all lucky to have this added benefit of this, Cheyenne's husband works in law enforcement. So as soon as she heard that Josh had been tangled up in a murder, she started conducting searches. And she got her husband involved, too. Men can't resist a good true crime story. We had seen some, like, court documents from pretty early on, like 2011, where he was, like, in trouble with drugs. And so I think he was kind of on that path way with with maybe like drug dealing or something like that. We couldn't find any details about these 2011 convictions, but we did find information about a bunch of other run-ins with the law. Between 2007 and 2008, Josh had the cops called on him at least five times. In October of 2007, Josh was cited and released on suspicion of theft. A month later, he was arrested for consuming alcohol as a minor. And then in 2008, he was arrested at least three times, once on suspicion of a minor consuming alcohol, once for speeding violations, and once for forcible entry. Another time, he was arrested on a warrant. And that's a lot of times to be arrested. That's that's a lot of... a very of, short right. period of time. Right. Yeah. And he's young. You know, uh, in 2005, Cheyenne was a freshman. He was a senior. So he had just graduated in, you know, 2007, 2008, 2009. So it's like, yeah. it's a lot... We're, we're seeing a pattern develop. Yeah. And it's possible Josh had more arrests, but we didn't find any others until March 23rd of 2020, when he was charged with two counts of drug possession and one count of possession of a firearm by a restricted person. Now, according to court records, he was arrested after officers received a call about two men shooting guns on a dirt road behind a liquor store. Now, it's not great, but without more information, it's hard to judge this. The most important thing we learn from this brush with law enforcement is that Josh was involved with drugs in some way, shape, or form. I mean, he's either taking them or he's selling them. Either way, after Josh was released on bond, he went back to Cedar City to that house he shared with his mother, Kay. In high school, Josh Glover had been labeled a burnout. Things didn't seem to change much after graduation, and by the time March of 2020 rolled along, he had been charged with drug possession and possession of a firearm by a restricted person. After Josh was released on bond, he went back to the Cedar City house that he shared with his mother, Kay. And based on what we could find, it seems as though Josh hadn't really strayed far from his mom's residence in the 15-ish years since he graduated high school. Right. And there is limited information, but here's everything we could dig up about Josh's mother, Kay. Yeah, she was born on December 15, 1946. Kay Marie Rizel, she grew up in Wausau, Wisconsin, with parents Raymond and Gwen, and a sister named Janan. While attending senior high school, Kay began a relationship with a fellow student named Terry Morrow. They continued dating through high school and beyond, and following her graduation, Kay started working for a distribution warehouse, while Terry started working for a construction company. In April of 1966, Kay and Terry took the next step and married. They got married at an evangelical church, and that was followed by a dinner at the Gaslight Inn, which I don't think we'd ever see a bar named the Gaslight Inn at this point in time, but that's the that's what it was named back then. Well, honestly, it would do well now. Probably, it would do yeah. well. Gaslighting is really in these days. Yeah. 19-year-old Kay wore a white-knit suit and matching coat accented with sand-colored accessories. But sadly, the high school sweethearts weren't meant to be, and they divorced a little over two years later. Right, and then in May of 1976, Kay was still living in Wisconsin when she married a man seven years her junior at a girl. His name was Nolan Gilstad, and their marriage lasted almost eight years before ending in divorce, unfortunately. Then in February of 85, Kay was living in Nevada when she married her third husband, a man named Ronald Glover. 
And this marriage, her third, lasted only eight months before ending in divorce. But then in February of 86, on the anniversary of their first wedding, Kay and Ronald tried their hand at this relationship again. But yet again, it wasn't meant to be. And they were divorced 15 months later. And it seems like Kay never gave up on love despite her relationship tribulations, which is a really beautiful thing. And when she split from Ronald Glover the second time, she was 40 years old. She eventually realized that she was pregnant. And in January of 88, Kay gave birth to a son who she named Josh. Side note, it's unclear whether Kay knew she was pregnant at the time of the divorce or if Ronald ever really played a significant role in Josh's childhood. We just couldn't find that information. All we know is that a year later, Kay and Josh moved to Utah, where Kay eventually married her fourth husband, Jim Goswich. And they lived in multiple cities, and they later settled and planted their roots in Cedar City. In 2010, at the age of 64, Kay retired from working as a paralegal, cabin rental manager, and she had many more jobs. And by all accounts and purposes, she had always been known as a dependable and professional employee. By the time 2020 rolled around, 73-year-old Kay was divorced from her fourth husband, Jim, and she was just like enjoying her retirement life. She really liked the slower pace of life. She loved interacting with her neighbors, stopping in at the bank instead of using the drive through You know, she was doing all these things that working people often didn't have time for. She was really just chilling and living easy. Yeah, and so because Kay was so active, it came as a surprise to everyone that she just suddenly stopped being seen around. She wasn't doing her errands. She wasn't going on walks. Nothing. Nobody was seeing her. And every now and then, though, neighbors would see Kay's son, Josh, at the house. And when they asked where Kay was, he responded by saying that his mom was out of town. She was taking care of family members suffering from COVID. Kay was a very kind and gentle woman. And Josh had sort of always been around, so neighbors just didn't really question it. Right. And Kay's noticeable absence continued. But you have to remember, even if people noticed, it's COVID times. People, especially people Kay's age, many were staying in. They weren't doing the normal errands they do with such ease and confidence before. We were all pretty absent. We were all pretty scarcely seen at that time. And I don't know where Kay stood on COVID safety, but you can sort of understand how people justified her absences even as time continued to pass without seeing her. So ultimately, three whole months went by and no one had heard from Kay. And when people tried to call her, it went straight to voicemail. And she wasn't answering texts. And the mail in front of her house was overflowing. Her yard was overgrowing and hadn't been maintained in months. This was all very uncharacteristic of Kay. There had even been a notice on the door about the water being shut off because the bills hadn't been paid. So people who were worried about Kay, like her neighbors, they tried to get in touch with her and then with Josh but they hadn't seen him around for weeks either. No one really knew what was going on. But again, COVID, lots of excuses to be had. So with no other option, eventually neighbors reach out to the police on July 31st of 2020 to perform a welfare check at the house. So police did respond and do a welfare check. But when they got there, they didn't find anything suspicious. So the worried neighbors found themselves back at square one, simply left to speculate about where Kay and Josh could be. Then on August 7th, Josh showed up at the State Bank of Southern Utah on Main Street in Cedar City, where his mom had conducted her financial business. While he was there, he tried to withdraw $5,000 from her account. And as you can imagine, the bank was pretty suspicious of Josh's request. They had told him, you know, like, hey, we need to see your mom. Like, she needs to come in and confirm a couple of things. And so he would say, okay, yeah, like, I'll have her come in. And she just never did. And so the bank workers were the ones that were kind of like, this isn't right. This isn't really, like, normal for her. We're used to seeing her all the time. The bank's manager started an investigation into Kay's accounts and financials, and they quickly found unusual activity dating all the way back to April. Kay's account balance was significantly lower than normal, but no bills had been deducted at all. The only transactions were dozens of ATM cash withdrawals. In July alone, there had been 23 different transactions of $300 each, which you have an ATM card that's typically like the most you can pull out in one day. So that's $6,900 that were pulled out of her account in one month. 
the manager also found that someone had been forging checks from Kay's account. And who were all these checks made out to? None other than her son, Josh Glover. For the bank people to notice that said something about her, like, granted, it's a small town, but people, you know, like, you see a lot of people every day. So to notice that she's not coming in and definitely to notice, like, her son coming in, getting money or whatever, you know, like they were checking, like they were actively looking at her account and saying she doesn't keep her account so slow. Like this isn't like normal for her. On August 18th, the bank contacted the police due to all this suspicious activity on Kay's account. So the police went back to Kay's home and once again, they saw nothing that looked weird or out of place. They did speak with the neighbors who said they hadn't seen Kay since mid-April, but they had been told by her son that she was helping family members with COVID in either Nevada or Washington State. The officers looked around. They noticed that Kay's car was in the driveway, which seemed odd for someone who was supposedly visiting family. Right. And also, no one was really flying during COVID. So how'd she get Mm. there? Interesting. Because Utah is driving distance from Nevada and from Washington. Absolutely. Yeah. But there wasn't anything wrong, so the officers left. They couldn't do anything. But they continued investigating the bank's report of this suspicious activity. And whatever they found was suspicious enough to take action. Right. And less than two weeks later, on August 31st, officers had enough probable cause regarding Kay's disappearance and her weird bank account activity to basically enter her home with a warrant. So... We're going to walk you through this house because we happen to have sort of a virtual tour of every angle and every vantage point. So we're looking at the outside. It's a ranch style home with a porch in the front. There's a cute little trailer that you would hitch to like a pickup truck where you would Mm -hmm. like a camper. Like camping. Uh Yeah. It seems like, you know, something you take to Zion National Park or something if you lived in Cedar City, Utah. And huge driveway, really unassuming cute little house. Yeah. And this house is 3,600 square feet. So that's like a massive house. Yeah, It's, it's a big house. Big. It's pretty big for just the two of them. Yeah. Five bedrooms, three baths. And you take a look at the uh, living room and it's got this sort of uh, giant wall of stone uh, with a fireplace in it, wood paneling, you know, a little dated, but it's um, it's got some charm to it. Like it's definitely something like, oh, you know, we could do something with this. It's a cool house. It has amazing bones, you can tell. And it has like stacked slates. Like you can tell it's, it's yeah. very mm-hmm. it's very Utah, like you know, with yeah. all the rocks. And there's a basement. And uh, yeah, this will all hold more significance later. And, and outside, there's a downstairs basement. There's an entrance to a basement down a flight of stairs. And yeah, we'll get more into the, the significance of some of these areas later in the app. So inside the house, officers found no sign of Kay at all. Instead, they just found a complete mess. There were piles of mail. The only envelopes that were opened were ones that belonged to Josh, which was super interesting. There was a big bowl of cat food and a large amount of cat feces, both suggesting that there was a neglected cat living somewhere in this house. There were mounds of moldy food and moldy trash, and disturbingly many items like the TV, computer monitor, and chairs had bullet holes in them. Right. And the basement of this house was a disaster. But worst of all, when the police were there, they saw what looked like blood, a lot of blood. And officers described evidence what appeared to be a violent struggle. So this is sort of where things take a turn. It goes from like, is Kay missing? Is Kay with family? To this house is in total neglect, total disrepair. It's not like her, and we see this sign of maybe something has happened here. So this actually, at this point, led investigators to conclude that, this is a direct quote from an article, due to the large amount of blood and evidence of a firearm being discharged in this proximity that someone has been seriously injured or worse. And here's where things take another weird turn. Later, reporting said, however, that theory was debunked when samples of the the splatter that they thought was blood were found to be dried paint. So still, the mystery thickens, right? We don't know what is going on, where Kay is, was a violent struggle here or not, you know, what what happened? Something else so bizarre. Yeah, so there's, there's a lot of weird stuff going on in the house. They go through the house, though, 
and then they make their way to the backyard. And in the backyard, there's a cinder block shed with a new padlock on it. And we have uh, pictures of the shed as well. You know, looks like it's a square rectangle shed, um, cinder block, concrete floor, incredibly simple. Yeah. And a little creepy. Uh, there's like a, one hanging light bulb with a little like, you know, it's like, well, let's be honest, the whole house is pretty creepy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And there's like a weird picture on the interior of the door. It looks like there's either giant screws or bullet holes there. Yeah. I think those are screws. I looked at that weird picture and at first I thought it was an owl. Um, oh. I think it's a cat. Yeah. Oh, but it's it's not like a comforting no. scene. There's there's nothing comforting about no, it. No. Yeah. Now, here's the thing though. Outside the shed, officers found 10 empty 80-pound bags of cement. And inside they found buckets, they found mixing tools, they found trays that had been used recently but they hadn't been cleaned. So they were all caked on with all the cement. And they also found a plastic trash can containing charcoal briquettes, which as the officers knew, people use those often to cover and absorb or odors. I didn't know that. That was like, yeah. I didn't hmm. know that. So charcoal, it's those little, those little, they look like little pizza pockets. That's a briquette. Mm-hmm. They're yes. like in sort of in that shape, like little pillows. Yeah. And you would use them like if you, if you had a, a barbecue at a park right. and, and they, you know, yeah. yeah, but they absorb, do they like absorb smells? Is that, yeah, is yeah. that they, the they theory? Suck it, they suck in the smells in the same way that, you know, you might see uh, kitty litter sucks in the smells and that kind of thing. Interesting. I didn't know that yes. about charcoal. So now there was also a root cellar hatch that had been removed and it had been discarded to the side. And an officer later said that where the hatch had once been located, they found, quote, a recent concrete pour over a roughly four by four foot area, along with a sealant that had been used to cover the recent concrete and nowhere else. According to the search warrant, cadaver dogs were called to the scene. And although they didn't indicate on the concrete area, they apparently did show interest in the handle of a shovel. So then officers obtained another warrant that allowed them to search below this newly poured area that was obviously extremely sketchy. And as they carefully broke through the cement, officers found a body wrapped in a tarp at the bottom of the old root cellar. It was the body of 73-year-old Kay. And judging by the level of decomposition, it was estimated that she had been dead for weeks at the very least. Also recovered from the remains were a pair of glasses, pink pajama pants, a black slipper, and a wallet with Kay's ID in it. It's sort of like we knew where this was going, but it's, you know what I mean, just given the circumstances, but it's just always still shocking and perplexing. When you see a story like this where like they were sort of, she had all these marriages, but she he was her priority. It's like, how does this happen? Yeah. yeah. How does someone who takes care of their son, even though he's getting in trouble and arrested time after time, which... She provided a home, you know, like, it's like, how the fuck do you take more from this woman? How do you do yeah. that? No, he was her constant. And, yeah. and here's the thing that, that one of the things, and even when I, you know, started learning about this case is that as a true crime person, you're sort of looking at it going, wow, he left 10 empty 80 pound bags of cement outside. Like he left the mixing tray outside. Like he did all of these things that could get him caught. Yeah. And that's where your head goes as opposed to why the hell did he do it in the first place? Yeah, it is funny. You kind of go to like, what a stupid criminal yeah. kind of a thing. But it's just like, what the fuck could mm -hmm. have gone wrong to like lead us to this place? Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, police are putting all this together and it's like, obviously we know who our lead suspect is given the suspicious activity on the accounts there's a motive right there, right? Yeah. So a warrant was issued for Josh's arrest, but until the autopsy of Kay was finished, he was only charged with fraudulent use of his mother's bank account. They needed evidence of a homicide before he could be charged with one, despite the obvious evidence against him at this point. They needed it documented. And also because Josh never appeared in court for the firearm and drug possession charges from back in March, he now had an additional active warrant in his name. So he was kind of on the lam. So authorities sent out an APB and told the public to keep a lookout for 32-year-old Josh. And he was considered at this point armed and dangerous. On October 31st of 2020, more than four months after she'd last been seen, officers found 73-year-old Kay Goswich's body buried beneath 
freshly poured concrete in her shed. Kay's 32-year-old son, Josh Glover, was the only suspect in his mother's death, but he was nowhere to be found. So authorities sent out an APB and told the public to keep a lookout for 32-year-old Josh, who should be considered armed and dangerous. Then at around 10.30 a.m. on September 5th, Cedar City PD received a call from somebody who said that they had spotted Josh at a Smith's grocery store. The caller reported seeing him leave the parking lot in a white Oldsmobile. Officers arrived in time to locate Josh driving a white four-door sedan and conducted a high-risk traffic stop, ordering him to pull over, but Josh sped off. Police followed Josh as he drove 70 miles per hour in 25 mile per hour zones. He was ignoring all these stop signs until he finally crashed into a police car. Then, instead of surrendering, Josh ran off and officers ended up pursuing him on foot. He jumped over a fence, but they caught him in the backyard of a private residence. And according to the Cedar Police PD's Facebook, one commenter clarified that the police department's only female officer was the one that was able to tackle and take down Josh Glover, which we love to hear it. I love that. And I was trying to find, you know, I was trying to find an official reporting of that. Uh huh. And I couldn't. And it was just this Facebook comment where it's like, I heard Mm -hmm. (laughs) that it's a rumor we like to hear. Honestly, it's not a disparaging rumor. So I'm I'm behind it. All good. When officers searched Josh, they found four knives on his person. In the car, they found three handguns, a rifle, seven firearm magazines, a collapsible baton, two hammers, a hatchet, a, quote, drug debt record-keeping book, (laughs) a license plate that had been shot multiple times, duct tape, jewelry, drugs, and drug paraphernalia. Later, when they searched his storage unit, officers found more weapons, as well as firearm parts, gun magazines, and a blood-covered mop. Oh, my God. Josh was transported to the station to speak with police once he was in custody, but he refused to say anything. Then he took that incredible mugshot that we described earlier. Then he was transferred to jail, where he faced a litany of additional charges. Desecration of a corpse failure to respond to an officer's signal to stop, a third-degree felony, two counts of purchase, transfer, possession, or use of a firearm by a restricted person, third-degree felony, two counts of unlawful acquisition, possession, or transfer of financial transaction card, third-degree felony, position of a controlled substance. And on the heels of all of this, Josh was not given bail. He was considered a flight risk, and obviously, no we know, and we know what the police were doing. They were waiting for those autopsy results because they were going to charge him with murder, mm-hmm. and right. they weren't going to let him fucking slip away before they were able to do that. So, until Kay's manner of death could be determined, obviously, like Lex said, no murder charges were filed against Josh. So, this left a lot of room for speculation in his community. Everybody was wondering what the fuck was going on. And was it possible that Kay could have died accidentally or even of natural causes and Josh like buried her out of panic? None of these scenarios would be the case. Kay did not die of natural causes. She obviously had been murdered. The medical examiner found that Kay died from three distinct blunt force trauma injuries to the head, which had been inflicted just before or at the time of her death on April 14th. And following this determination, Josh was charged with the murder of his own mother. As it like kept unfolding, I was like, this is so crazy. I can't even believe that somebody that I went to school with did this. It's just, I just kept thinking like, how do you even get to that point to like go down that path? Everyone had the same question. What reason could someone possibly have to allegedly take their own mother's life? Now, oftentimes with cases like these, there are warning signs, like maybe the victim voiced concerns about their well-being shortly before their death. But that doesn't seem to be what happened with Kay. Her friends were shocked to hear about the charges against Josh. One friend wrote an article for Iron County Today that read in part, quote, This writer, a good friend of Kay's for 12 years, was never told of her problems with Joshua. She only spoke well about him to me and was happy to share many good times with him. Right. And because there was so little information available, I turned to Facebook, you know, um, to see what people were commenting under the articles. And one such woman commented, 
I went to school with this kid. So crazy. His mother was the sweetest lady. And then under that, another user asked what he was like. And the former classmate replied, he was one of the kids that didn't fit in with the popular crowd. He was more so in the crowd of nerdy drama kids. He acted goofy all the time. Never really weird. No drugs then, but it is Southern Utah. And a lot of the people I went to school with got hooked on pain pills and sometimes heroin. But his mom came to all of our summer drama classes to help. And she and I went to the same lady to get our hair done. And, you know, there were more comments about how sweet this mother was. And it's it's really hard to understand what went wrong here. Um, it's purely speculation. But more and more that I learn about this case, like drugs seem more and more likely a culprit. Not that the, that drug addict, you know what I mean? It's like he obviously had to also have this in him. And we recall the story from high school, how he was treating, you know, fellow students. So it helps you paint a picture, but this is all alleged. So in an article that ran on September 23rd of 2020 in the Iron County Today paper, it was reported that a memorial service was held for Kay on Sunday, September 27th at 2 p.m. in the backyard of one of Kay's neighbors on Kay's street. And the article further notes that Kay died suddenly last April as a result of a family altercation with her son. And this all kind of seems to corroborate the police narrative and the charges that Josh is facing. In this article, which is reminiscent of an obituary, Kay is described as a kind, sweet, gentle person, a good neighbor, very shy, but independent and wise. And she had a great sense of humor. Kay was an excellent, dependable worker and was always on time and professional in her work. She enjoyed her retirement and often prepared home-cooked meals for her wayward son, Joshua. I thought wayward was a really interesting use to like, yeah. interesting word to use in this kind of thing. Yeah. It's like they had to be like, she enjoyed cooking su- meals for him, but couldn't be like, he's not not involved. He's wayward. No, but you, you you just have to go to, I mean, that's psychologically what you're doing as a community. You're just saying that he lost his way. Yeah. And yeah. I think that that amplifies all the evidence we've pieced together. Because obviously everyone like, we usually paint more of a picture, but there has not been a trial yet. We don't mm-hmm. know. So we've actually cobbled together all of this from various, you know, public information sources. But everything we've learned seems to point in the same direction, that he was troubled, that he was in trouble with the law, that he was dabbling in drugs. Anything's possible. We hope to learn more. But authorities have released kind of scant information about a possible alleged motive, which again leaves tons of room for speculation. But Cheyenne, who's from this community, who knew these people, has her own theory. I don't think he was evil based upon, like, knowing him, like, and seeing him. Like, I don't think he was evil. I think he maybe just kind of went down a bad path, and I think a lot of it probably was, like, drug-related and probably, like, financial. Like, he thought he was going to get money. Like, I don't think he had a super great upbringing, but... I think he just didn't have good friends. So the last that we have heard about Josh is that he had a status hearing for all of his charges on March 28th of 2022, but no further information has been released. All we know is that he pleaded not guilty, and as he awaits trial from a locked down jail cell, he is a fucking nuisance to all. I have a friend that's actually a corrections officer there, and she was telling me, I was like, what's he like doing in there? And she's like, oh, he's the worst. Like, he... He's always masturbating and he's like trying to like give it to the like female deputy. Like he's always just kind of like being inappropriate and gross. Like, like he's just the worst. On November 22nd, 2021, Josh was charged with lewdness. And we deduce it's related to all of that perverted shit that he was doing in jail as he's awaiting trial. And we're lucky in that we only know this because Cheyenne's husband works in law enforcement and they have friends in the jail. And it's like... Here's what we know about him. He was doing racist, cruel shit in high school. He allegedly Mm. murdered his mom. He's been arrested Mm. countless times. And now he's sexually fucking doing sexual battery shit to, to, you know, people who are monitoring him in jail. Like, even if he's hypothetically in some crazy other dimension, if he's not guilty, because it's alleged he hasn't been prosecuted yet, this guy's a piece of shit. Like, I can't find a world where he's 
like a good guy. <laughs> no, I mean, it's fucking terrifying. If you think of all of the things that they found in his house, too, it's just like, yeah. say he in some, yeah, like you said, no, some other dimension, it wasn't him. Like the capabilities and the crazy shit that probably goes on in that guy's mind is absolutely terrifying. Yeah, it's getting worse and worse, uh, you know, yeah. the more we find. So because of his behavior, Josh is only allowed out of his cell once every Monday, Wednesday and Friday for just 15 minutes at a time. He doesn't have a mattress or a blanket, and he only has one set of clothes. He isn't allowed to use meal trays because he's used them to block the doors and the ports to his cell. So instead, his meals are actually served to him in bags. Well, that's what you get if you break the rules, fucker. Oh, my God. I just can't get that, like, picture out of my head from when he was at high school. Like, he was just, like, quiet and just, like, not... I don't know. So, like, maybe he was, like, a secret asshole. Like, and he just, like, wasn't... And I just was a lot younger than him and didn't know him, you know, super well. And maybe I just missed the mark on him. I just think you just, like, really don't know people. Like, you don't know who people are behind closed doors. And you don't know what people are really like when they're in like when they're up against a wall like I think that tells a lot about people when they're kind of in those situations like you're in a bad situation like how are you going to react when you think kids that you grow up with are just like great and just small town kids and you're you know just living your lives and then you just you know they go and do something crazy that you're like what like I don't even know where that came from like how we were like kind of raised in the same community and like essentially with the same values like I thought you know and then you you read this kind of stuff in the news and then you're, you're just kind of floored like wow I didn't even know people were capable of that All right. Well, a huge thank you to Cheyenne for being our first degree for this episode. If you're listening and you have a story to tell, please email us hello at the first degree podcast.com. No story is too small and we check them all the time. Follow us on Instagram at the first degree at Alexis Linkletter at Billy Jensen at Jack Vanek. Join us on TikTok. We just started a TikTok recently by searching the first degree with three E's. Join our Facebook group. We're talking true crime all the time and check back tomorrow because we'll have a brand new episode of Killing Time right in your feeds and join our Patreon. We have so many things to promote. <laughs> we sure so do. Get on board with all of it, guys. Yes. All of it. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close. But not that close. Happy Pink Day. Pink, this, pink the pop star. And Bookmobile. Shout out to Jared Monica for scoring original music for The First Degree, producing by Caitlin Cleveland, writing by Haley Gray. Sources for this episode are Desert, ABC4, Iron County Today, KSL, KUTV, Cedar City News, Gethart Daily, St. George News, Wasu Daily Herald, and as always, our first three guest is always our largest source. <laughs>